I want to share with you, I guess, what's big on my heart for 2020. In 2020, I uh, started in the beginning of the year talking to you about not being deceived. You see, deception is really the opposite of what? Truth. That's the opposite of deception, truth. So in order to be insulated from being deceived, you have to go to truth. But what people oftentimes do is they believe that truth is, is, truth is subjective. When it's not subjective, it is objective. I want to explain to you what that means. When something is subjective, it's subject to me. In other words, when something is subjective like truth, it is subject to how I feel. So in other words, people now discover or use their source of truth as a subjective source of truth. In other words, truth is subject to how they feel. They feel this is true, therefore it's truth. Or they uh, um, have experienced something, therefore it's true to them. That's why you find these days people talk about that's his truth or that's her truth. The only problem is truth is universal. That means truth is the same for all people throughout all of time. It has to be, it can't be two different things for two different people. Truth is universal. It is not subjective to your feelings, to your opinions, or your experiences. It is actually objective. What does that mean? That means it doesn't come from within me. I don't establish it. It comes to me from elsewhere. And we know that the truth is the Word of God. And the Word of God is the truth that comes to us and we are like, we are the clay in the potter's hand being molded to look more like the truth. We don't come up with truth. That's called, that's called uh, um, false God worship, right? <laughs> that's what that is, is when we actually make truth subject to how we feel or what we've experienced or how we think. Now what's, what's very popular and has been popular for a long time is what's called consensus theory of truth. That is like, how many of you believe it's okay to steal? And 51% people raise their hands. We go like, well, therefore it's moral. It's okay. You see, that is subjective truth. Objective truth is when it doesn't come from us. It's not subject to us. It comes to us from elsewhere, from God's Word. Therefore, I'm saying all of that to say this. In 2020, Satan has a plan for your life. Did you know that? I can tell you what his plan is for your life, and that is to deceive you. Because he is the great deceiver. He started by deceiving Eve, and he will constantly, he, he still deceives people, and he will always deceive people. That is his ammo. That's the only thing he has to offer, is deception. And how can you be insulated from deception? Truth. It's truth. If I come to you, and I try to sell you a fake Rolex watch. But it looks absolutely real. It looks like the real thing. I might be able to sell it to you for top dollar, right? Because I'm able to deceive you in thinking that the truth is that's real gold. When in fact, the truth is that it's plastic. You see? How was I able to sell it to you? I deceived you. What's the opposite, this opposite of that deception? The truth about that Rolex watch. You see? So the opposite of deception is what? Truth. And the Bible says, your word is 
truth. Not your feelings. Your word, not my feelings. Your word is truth. And here's the big one. Not my experiences. We have all misinterpreted our feelings. We have all misinterpreted past experiences. But the word of God is eternal. It is the truth. So, I, so it is my, on my heart since the beginning of this year to encourage you, do not be deceived. How many times does the Bible tell us, do not be deceived? Many in that day will be deceived. Deception is Satan's ammo to destroy your life. There are many deceptions that the Bible talks about. Today, I want to just gun at one of them. So want to go after just one of them. And it's the one of them that each and every one of us in this room oftentimes fall prey to. Every one of us struggle with this one. Me included, you, I'm sure everybody. And I want to title this, Judas, Money, and You. I want to outline this little story. It's a, it's a true story in John but if I want to outline it by first outlining the characters. First, in this story, we have Jesus. And uh, Jesus needs no introduction. Then we have Lazarus, the man who Jesus brought back to life not, so, not long before this, a few days before this. Lazarus was dead. The Bible says he was dead long enough where he already started smelling bad. He stinketh. If you leave your flesh... To itself long enough it'll start stinking <laughs> we will decompose we are all just dirt amen and uh, and that's that's humility folks <laughs> that God would put so much value on you that piece of dirt it's an amazing thing that he would value me so much he placed value upon me the valueless the fallen man, the enemy of God, he came and he valued me enough. He made me valuable. Here's Lazarus, dead, long enough to start smelling. Jesus comes and he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, the Bible says, walks right out of that grave, still wrapped in cloth. Then in the story, we also have Martha and Mary. Now, Martha and Mary are the sisters of Lazarus. Jesus loved them, the Bible said. He loved these two ladies. They were absolutely grateful sisters of Lazarus. Why? Because Jesus brought their brother back to life. Judas is also part of the story. And he was going to betray Jesus six days later from the story. And right after he betrays Jesus, this same guy, Judas, was going to commit suicide. The Bible says he hung himself, then he fell and burst open. He hung himself, either the rope broke, the branch broke, but then he fell and he burst open, committed suicide. So you'll see that when you look at these characters, on the one hand, you have a family, two sisters and a brother, who valued Jesus more than anything they could possess. They saw Him 
as life eternal. And on the other hand, you have Judas who doesn't recognize the value of the very Jesus he was following and serving. Many people follow and serve, follow and serve Jesus, but don't value Him. But they are deceived, and they're deceived over the very same thing as Judas was deceived over. You'll see what Judas's deception was. Last week, we talked about the four soils, and Jesus said there's a sower, talking about Himself, that went about sowing seeds. And some of the seeds fell on the wayside soil, and it died. <clears throat> Other seeds fell on the stony ground, it died because it, couldn't, it didn't have root. Another seed fall, fell on the thorny ground and it was choked to death and that seed also produced nothing. That's, that thorny soil is the soil he then later defines as the one who's filled with the cares of this world and the what? The deceitfulness of riches. That person there, that Judas right there, that follows Jesus, hears his words, accepts his words, but loves money, that person, when the word comes to them, that love for money chokes the word, and that word becomes completely fruitless in that person's life. They value other things instead of Jesus and what he has said. All right, so let's read through the story and let's come to some conclusions today. John 12, verse 1 through 8. This is a problematic portion for many commentaries, but I believe that today it will be somewhat clarified. In verse 1 it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner there. Let me just pause there for a second. They hosted this dinner. Many people came in honor of Jesus, the very one who raised their brother from the dead. They were not, they didn't withhold, they didn't hold back to spend whatever they had to on Jesus to celebrate Him. So verse 2, it says, they gave Him a dinner there for Him. Martha served Him. Of course she did. <laughs> she hasn't changed a bit. Martha was serving him. It seemed like she had a beautiful heart. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. Let me just pause there for a second. It is well no, it's a well-known fact that one pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard equals one year's worth of wages. It's an entire year of salary. And you'll see that Judas mentions that later. So again, verse 3, it says, Many therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, a follower of Jesus, he who was about to betray Jesus said, 
Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii was one year's worth of wages for above average earner back then. It wasn't a poor man's annual wage. It was an above earner's annual wage. So Jesus says, why was, uh, Judas says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor. Why? But because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Of course, Jesus knows people's hearts. And his response is this. Now imagine this for a moment with me. There's a table set. Martha is serving. There are guests in the house. Judas is there. Jesus is reclining. The man he brought, to, brought back to the life, Lazarus, was on the other side. And they're all fellowshipping, talking about this great miracle that just happened with Lazarus. Mary walks in with this extremely expensive ointment. It's equate, equating to about $80,000 today. She walks up to him. And she starts pouring this very expensive ointment on his feet. And she starts wiping it with her hair. We've seen this picture before. She starts wiping it with her hair. Judas pipes up and he complains. Why are you doing that? That's a, that's a lot of money. I mean, this is Jesus. We're feeding him. Why aren't you rather just... I tell you what, let's be noble about this. And you hear this all the time, even in our society. Why don't you rather sell that and give it to the poor? If you want to be good, give it to the poor. But Jesus responds and he says to Lazarus, excuse me, he says to Judas Iscariot, leave her alone. Why? Three things, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Number two, for the poor you will have with you always. Number three, but you do not always have me. Leave her alone. I have seen people be extremely generous toward God. And other people around them go like, what in the world? Wow, we got, ex we got people in our congregation who are extremely generous. And other people go, wow. Jesus says, stop frowning. Leave them alone. And we'll see why. Number one, let's look at that. Leave her alone, Judas. You will not always have me. You see, Judas, you have walked with me. Judas, you have listened to me teach. You have seen me minister to the poor. You have seen me minister to the lost. But you are blind to how valuable I really am. To know me is infinitely valuable, Judas. Why are you not valuing me? Why do you trivialize me? Why do you find other things more valuable? Why would you even ask that question? Why can't you see my value, Judas? You are deceived, Judas, because riches have taken captive your heart. 
The way to blindness is fall in love with money. You are deceived, Jesus. Excuse me. You are deceived, Judas, Jesus says, because your heart has been captive by money and riches. As long as you are deceived by money, Judas, you will not know why I matter. As long as you are deceived by money, Judas, you will not know how much I matter. You see, Judas found security in money and not in Jesus. He found his future in money. Money was going to promise him a comfortable future rather than Jesus. He trusted money to provide for him instead of trusting Jesus. His faith was in finance, in money, instead of in Jesus. Mary has seen me, Jesus says, really, and she is valuing me right now with that ointment. And that is why she reached for the most lavish thing that she could find in order to express the inexpressible. I mean, Jesus walked into a home. He just rose. He just brought her brother back from the dead. She was grateful. She loved Jesus, the Bible said. And he's in her home. And I can only imagine her running around going like, what's the most, what's the most lavish, expensive, most, the, the thing I can, I can attempt to express that which is so inexpressible within me. Thank you, Jesus. You see, that's why she did that. She's trying to impress him? No. She's trying to express herself. And Judas was like, you could have given it to the poor. Jesus said, leave her alone. Stop. There are many reasons for it. Leave her alone, Judas. Your heart is filled with covetousness. Her heart yearns for me. Look at how lavish Mary displays her love for me. One year's worth of wages. Gone in a moment. On the feet and on the floor. But look how pretentious you are, Judas. Pretending to care for the poor when the truth is you only care for yourself. When a person like Lazarus is brought to life, which is, by the way, a type of the second birth, when Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead, he was showing everybody what he was about to start doing because he was about to die on a cross, come back to life, and start bringing many people to life. So when he called Lazarus to the dead, from the dead back to life, when that happens to a person, that person's values change. Everything about them changes. Value system is no longer the same, right? Suddenly they start valuing things like redemption forgiveness suddenly they start valuing things like eternity <clears throat> i work with this one man and he and he keeps on talking to me about the bible because he knows i'm a minister and he says so so what happens when we die i'm like i don't know <laughs> you know we'll all find out eventually but the bible says this and i explained to him well in christ we shall all live it's like we take our we take our body like a garment and we throw it off and we just keep going but now we have a resurrected body and we live with him forever he goes <laughs> you're right I'm like why won't you why 
What makes you believe that that's not true? Because you have to have faith that it's not true. You might as well have faith that it is true. <laughs> right? He goes, eh, I'll just roll with the punches when I get there. Like, really? So a week later, I start talking to him about investments. And I said, you know, there's this company, this startup company. You should invest in this company. It'll only cost you $200. 200 bucks? No ways. That's too big of a gamble, he tells me. Because most companies don't make it, you know, startup companies. That's too much of a gamble. I said, that's too much of a gamble, 200 bucks? But eternity is not too big of a gamble for you? You don't realize how you're gambling with your eternity right now by saying, I'll just roll with the punches when I get there? <laughs> so we have this joke I told you. I'm buying him these big um, dice that you can hang on your rearview mirror so he can be reminded every day as he gets in his car that he's gambling with eternity by rejecting Jesus. But when a person comes back to life, just like that dead man, Lazarus, was brought back to life by Jesus, that man's value system changes completely. Everything about them changes. Suddenly, Jesus is valuable because He is the giver of life. I can trust Him, not just with this life, but with the next life. And suddenly, he is the most valuable. But until that man comes back to life as a person dead in their sins, that person's value system is completely different. That person lives for here, for now, for career, for increase, for money, for prosperity, for riches, for everything they can have now. And when a person does that, that is the sign of a deceived individual, whether they're inside of the church or outside of the church, if they live for that value system. Are you all following me? But a man that comes back to life and that is born again, suddenly his value system changes, and now you go like, that man got saved. How do you know? Their value system tells me he's saved. That man was brought back to life. From death. What Judas valued and what he did not value was a sign that showed just how lost he actually was. Everything about him seemed like he was a disciple. He was called a disciple. He followed Jesus. He listened to all of Jesus' teachings. He was the treasurer. It looked like Jesus trusted him. But what he valued and what he did not value was a sign as to just exactly how lost he really was. What we value and what we don't says the same about us. Judas, you will not always have me. This is your moment to value me. Judas, this is the moment. It's now. Don't let this moment go past you. Leave her alone. What about you? Jesus was saying, let it go, Judas. Let us spend one entire year's worth of salary on the one she values. More than that salary. More than riches. More than what this world has to offer. 
It was Jesus who said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it profit? Nothing. Why do you want to sell your soul for a bowl of soup so that you can be satisfied now but have no inheritance? You know what I'm talking about. Why would you do that? It's a deception. That's why we do it. I say we. That's why we do it. We deceive. We lose sight of the value that we have in Jesus. Why? Because we start valuing other things more. And the more we value other things, the less we value Him. The more we chase after other things, the less we follow Him. This is a deception. And this is the deception Satan will attempt to destroy you with in 2020. He has always attempted to destroy you with this deception, and he will always attempt to destroy you with this deception. He will attempt to make the word null and void in your life by turning your heart into thorny ground. Where when the word is sown, the thorns come up and choke the word and makes it unfruitful. Why? Because of the cares of this world and the what? The deceitfulness of? Riches. Riches has this power to deceive you. It has this power to tell you, I'll take care of you. It has this power to tell you, you're safe with me. You have security. Riches has this power that it promises you that it can do for you what God refuses to. Oh, God can, but He's not. I will. Why do you think we chase after money the way we do? We will give up family for it. We will give up marriage for it. We will give up health for it. We will serve. We, we, we will work our fingers to the bone for it, right? Let me know that jump the gun here. So Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone, Judas. You will not always have me with you. I'm only here for a short period of time. And Jesus, knowing Judas and foreknowing Judas, looked at him knowing he was about to sell him out. He was about to betray him for a few pieces of silver. Judas, you want to have me with you always. Stop. <coughs> it's a message for us today. The second thing Jesus told him why he needed to stop, he said, leave her alone, Judas. The poor you will have with you always. You don't have me with you always, but the poor you'll always have with you. What was he telling Judas right there? Judas, if you love the poor and cared for the poor, then use the rest of your life to do that. Feed them. But I'm not with you for much longer. Right now I'm here and I won't be here for long. Judas, the truth is you don't love the poor. Judas, the truth is you don't care for me. You don't value me, Judas. You love money. That's the truth. And in five days, you will sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. Wow. 
Wow. Do you know many people serve God for that reason? To be rich. They don't know they are deceived by the riches themselves. I mean, God, do you realize that Satan did not deceive Eve with the satanic verses, the satanic Bible? Satan deceived Eve with what? The Word of God. Twisted. And thousands of people are living for money, running to churches on Sunday mornings because they believe that money cometh <laughs> and they can have more and they twist what they hear or what is said is twisted. God does not want you chasing after it. You are not the slave of money. I'll prove it to you, 1 Timothy 6, 7. Paul, the apostle says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with what? That. What? Food and clothing. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Let me say it again. I didn't write this. The Apostle Paul wrote it. It is in your Catholic Bible. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And a trap. It's a trap. The desire to be wealthy is a trap. The desire to always want more than what you currently have is a trap. That trap makes you useless to the kingdom of God. It deceives you. It fills you with the cares of this world. It makes you discontent. It causes you to transfer your trust off of Jesus onto money, onto riches. It puts your hope in what it can do for you instead of who God is to you, the Father who provides. Oh, and when we get free from that thing there, we are free. <laughs> I'm telling you, no man is more free than the one who cannot be bought. If you cannot be purchased, you are free. He says, verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. I am just amazed and, and how I have had to turn the way I think about this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and plunge people into destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. Some people eager for money, wow. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Many griefs. They stab themselves. They stab themselves and they stab themselves with grief after grief after grief. What is the Apostle Paul even talking about? He's talking about Judas who went and killed himself 
because he loved money so much. This is a danger for us that we have to look at. The love of money is deadly. Am I saying you should be poor? No, not at all. Your desire should be for God. That's what I'm saying. You cannot serve God and money. You can only serve God with money. In regards to money. Are you following what I'm saying? In regards to money, you cannot serve both. You can only serve God with the money that you have, but you cannot serve Him and money at the same time. That's a deception. What does that mean? You cannot live for it and for Him at the same time. You cannot chase after it and Him at the same time. Jesus said, it is more difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is more difficult. Now, I know this is not a message to be preached in the West, in the United States, especially not in the Northwestern suburbs. But let me tell you, folks, <laughs> this is Christ's nation. Forget it, okay? I don't care where we live. We live here. We are a nation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and all I want to make sure is that myself included, that Satan does not deceive us and cause us to pierce ourselves through with many sorrows because we've run after it instead of after God. We've chased after that instead of desiring God. We've desired it. It's become a priority to us. The love of money is deadly. Judas's love for money proved he did not love Christ. Judas's love for money was proof that he was not content in Christ. He needed more than what Jesus was offering him. Judas's love for money caused him to pierce himself with sorrows. He did. Judas's love for money paved the way to him committing suicide. I just read in an article last night as I was preparing of a multi-billionaire. I think he had 8 to 12 billion money during the crash in 2008. This billionaire that lives in Frankfurt, Germany, threw himself in front of a train because he lost 400 million. It's a deception, folks. It's a powerful deception. <clears throat> If you cannot see me in my worth, Jesus says, you will value other things. And when you value other things, it'll choke God's word in your life and it will be left fruitless. Luke 16, 13 says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. But the good news is, Christ Nation, you can serve God with wealth. I'm not asking you to give today. I'm asking you to be free. I'm not asking you to become more generous necessarily in the offering today. I'm asking you, open your eyes and make sure you are not the slave. You think 
you're in charge because you have it. No, it has you. And make sure it does not. Be free. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Judas, this is why you despise Jesus. This is why you were willing to sell him out, was for silver. Judas, you cannot serve God and money. The word the Bible uses here is devoted. You cannot be devoted to the one and devoted to the other. You will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. I'm always perplexed. I'm always puzzled. And at times I'm frightened to think how devoted we are to our careers. How devoted we are to our employers. How committed we are to being there all the time. And giving all of who we are in comparison to our devotion the body of Christ it's frightening people wake up and think about money people go to work all day long to make more money people work five six seven days a week to make even more money people have lunch appointments to strike more financial deals people go on their knees that same night and they pray and guess what their prayer is God asking you to bless me financially And suddenly, somehow, we think that everything we do is sanctified. You see, Judas saying that he wants to give to the poor was really a cover for his covetousness. It was a cover of his covetous heart. Well, let's give to the poor. And this is a problem for many, especially both in the church and in politics. It's a cover for covetousness. I always tell people now, when you choose to live for the Lord in this way, don't wait until one day your ship comes in, I will live for the Lord in this way. I will also serve Him with my wealth. Don't wait. You do it while you are building, right? Because the person that cannot live for God where he's at right now, cannot live for God where he's going to be one day it just doesn't work that way right so live for the Lord in the season that you're in I don't care what it is live for him now with what you have Judas is saying that he wants to give to the poor But he was lying. That's why Jesus said, leave her alone, Judas. Your heart is wrong. Her heart is right. She sees my value. You only see something worth selling. Leave her alone. The third reason why Jesus told her to leave her alone was because he wanted her to keep what she had for the day of his burial. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this statement by Jesus. He said, leave her alone, Judas, so she can keep this for the day of my burial. John 12, 7. 
it's interesting, like the commentaries, commentators are all over the place with this statement, all over the place. But let's look at that statement quick in John, if you don't mind throwing it up there, John 12 verse 7. This is the last point. John 12, 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it. It. What is it? For the day of my burial. How is she going to keep it, this expensive ointment, which is already on Jesus' feet and on the floor? There is nothing to be kept for Jesus' burial, which is six days away. She poured it out on him. And he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. It seems like Jesus was saying Judas needed to stop talking to Mary about this so she could keep something instead of losing that thing. It seems like Jesus was saying to Jesus, Judas, stop talking to Mary about this because if you did, she would start questioning her own actions. And she'll start questioning her love. Her loving heart might turn away from Christ or the value that she had in Jesus might be trivialized or minimized. Why else would Jesus have said it in verse 7? Leave her alone so that, so that. In other words, if Judas was not going to stop, then his statements were going to influence her. Stop saying this so that she won't stop doing that. Jesus was saying, Judas, you be quiet so that that does not happen and the other things continue to happen. John Piper's conclusion on this makes most sense. He says, stop talking and let Mary keep her amazement. Stop talking. Let Mary keep her joy. Judas, stop it. Shut up. Let Mary, let Mary keep her wonder of me. Even when I'm dead for my burial. Remember, for my burial. Stop it, Judas. So she will have what she's got even for that day when I die. Why? Why was, why would, what was happening here? Mary was amazed at Jesus. She was in wonder of Christ. She valued Christ. Why? He brought her brother back to life. He was the truth and the life. He was the truth and the life. She knew him as teacher, the one who taught the truth. He was the truth, but now he was also the life. He was the truth and the life, and she stood in his presence. And that's why she looked for the most valuable thing she had to pour out upon his feet. And when she was doing this, Judas was pulling her away from where she was at. And Jesus, Jesus said, no, wait. She knows I'm the truth, but she's in wonder of the fact that I'm the life now that her brother is sitting here with us. But I don't want her to lose that the day she sees me cold and dead in a tomb. I don't want her to start questioning that I am not just the truth, but I'm also the life. I bring life even when she sees me in the tomb. Don't take that from her, Judas. When she sees Jesus cold and dead and buried, will she still believe he is the re resurrection and the life? So Judas stopped sowing seeds of covetousness into Mary. And unfortunately, 
seeds of covetousness are being sowed constantly, constantly in this culture. Value Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, what you put in your mouth doesn't defile you. What comes from your heart defiles you. And then it mentions what? Covetousness. It's crazy. We are defiled, especially in the West, by this one thing. The thing that comes from our hearts and it's covetousness. It's when we, when we see somebody else has something, now we want that too. See that house? I also want a house like that. See that car? I also want a car like that. See that job? I also want a job like that. See those clothes? I also want clothes like that. See that lifestyle? I also want a lifestyle like that. And now I'm running off to the world instead of giving myself to God. It's a deception. And it's trivialized. Nobody preaches on it. It's trivialized. Why won't we preach on it? Jesus said it. Why won't we preach on it? Stop running off the money. Why won't we preach on it? No, we preach. This is your year. <laughs> this is your year. Get those pockets ready. Blessings are coming. And now everybody's running. Everybody's running for it. Why are we preaching? Not on this also. So Piper's conclusion there makes most sense. Judas, stop sowing the seeds of covetousness into Mary's heart. It is that thing there that causes her to no longer value me. And if you keep on pouring the seeds of covetousness into people's hearts, they start loving the world more than valuing Christ. And you could have an entire church not love Jesus. Why do you think that every church in, the, in, in, in Revelation was called the church at Philadelphia, the church at this city, the church at that city. But when it came to Laodicea, the wealthy city, that's when Jesus didn't say, this is the church at Laodicea. This is where Jesus said, this is the church of the Laodiceans. This wasn't Christ's church. This was the Laodiceans church. This was an Oprah Winfrey church, man. They, 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 they created this thing. They decided what it's going to believe. And then Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, if you look at that exegetically in context, you'll realize he's not standing at the individual's heart saying, hey, let me come into your heart, Bruce. It's not, Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus was standing at the door of the congregation and he was saying to them, hey, you guys who created your own church, I'm at that door knocking and I'm, if you will let me in, I will bring a revival to this church and I will I will." birth people anew. I will regenerate people. I will cause them to be born again. But that door has to be opened to me. Judas stopped sowing the seeds of covetousness because it is that thing that causes people to not value me. Covetousness defiles your heart. Be free from it. Now, I wrote the message and then I fight with myself. I look at it and then I fight with myself. I look at it, I believe it, I look away and I fight and I disagree. I look at it, I believe it, I look away and I disagree. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oftentimes you look at the Bible and you go like, wow, that is powerful. You look away and I'm not disagreeing with what I just saw. <laughs> 
you know. But it is my heart's cry and Tina's heart's cry that nobody at Christ Nation would be a slave. Nobody at Christ Nation will be defiled by covetousness. Nobody at Christ Nation would pierce themselves through with much sorrows for having served the wrong God. Be free. Serve God with what you have. Can I be a millionaire? Absolutely. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, remember we asked the question, at what point do I have too much? How many homes is, have, is too many homes? How many cars are too many cars? The Bible doesn't tell us because he, it doesn't draw a line as to how many cars are too many cars, how many homes, too many homes. It doesn't tell us. But it tells us which goals to have. You can have all the millions you want. You can edge up to the billion. You're okay as long as your goals are right. And that is that you're living for God with it and not living for it in spite of God. Make sense? I'm not calling you to poverty. I'm not calling you to being lazy. I'm not calling you to throw all diligence out the window. You know me. I believe we ought to be diligent. Otherwise, we're not a testimony for Jesus. You be diligent at the job. You work hard. You give you all because your goals is to glorify God with everything that you have. Amen? Don't be sucked into wanting to be rich. Rather, want to glorify Him. That sanctifies everything you do and all you have. It sanctifies all of it. I'd like to end with these two very sobering warnings. Number one, if any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, like Judas told Mary, if anyone tells you, simmer down, buddy. You don't have to give all. Simmer down. That's, that's too much, don't you think? That's a bit, wow, you're a little out of the box. If any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, ignore them. Ignore them. Ignore them. Remember, 2020, Satan has a plan for your life, and that is deception. He wants you to, to be deceived in how valuable Jesus is in comparison to how valuable everything else in your life is. He wants, here's one, he wants to deceive you in thinking that the years you have on this earth is more valuable than the eternity you will live with after this. It's a deception. In a hundred years, not one of us will be here anymore. None. And there's a deception to think that we ought to live for now. No. <laughs> Don't live to the end of, end of this life. Live towards the beginning of the next. This is our goal. This is our vision. This is what drives us. This is why I serve. This is why you serve. This is why we live the way we do. This is why we study the Word of God. This is why we worship Him. This is why we glorify Him. This is why we magnify Him. This is why we are generous. This is why we give to the poor. 
By the way, the Bible tells you to give to the poor. It doesn't tell you to be taxed so that the government can choose who they're going to give to. No, you give to the poor. That is what that means. Jesus was not a socialist. He said, you give to the poor. Amen? If any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, ignore them. Let your affections for Jesus match His worth. Let your affections for Jesus match His worth. I, you have to be as a, you are as affectionate towards Jesus, or your affection to Jesus mirrors your value to of Him. Your affection towards Jesus expresses how much you value Him. Number two, if any voice tempts you to want to be rich in money, if any voice tempts you to want to be rich in money, watch out. Jesus is your riches, and all that money can buy cannot compare with the value that you have in Him. But know that if you buy into that voice, it will keep you from valuing Him. May we never be deceived. May, be, may we be insulated, not isolated, but insulated from the voices of deception. There are many. But riches can deceive you. The Bible says sin deceives you. Satan deceives you. The world deceives you. Your flesh deceives you. And the only way to be undeceived is to know truth. Hang your hat on every verse you find. Amen. Did you enjoy the word this morning?